0: Peter really nails it today. I mean, it is very, very evident what Peter is doing. As a matter of fact, would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I've talked about what is the theme of 1 Peter. Why did Peter write this book? Well, he wrote the book to comfort those that had been scattered out of Rome. They had lost their homes, they've gone to other places because of the persecution of Nero and others against the Christian faith. And so they were out and and scattered abroad. And Peter wrote this particular letter, 1 Peter, and you've got to remember, he did this under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And so this is the Lord telling Peter what to write. And, And this will become... So important for you to see in a moment when we read through it. But Peter's message was to comfort those of us in our suffering. Not only in that day, but today, those of us that are going through difficulties. In fact, the first service, one of the young ladies of our church came to me and she was crying, singing that song. And I said, Is everything okay? It was in the back. And she said, Yes, Uh, yesterday, uh, our son, and she told me a little incident that happened, but he's fine. And and just just the dependency upon god and 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 how how our Lord wants to comfort you and me in any difficulties that we go through and so that was the the, the process of of the of this letter first peter but how how Peter comforts us is by the by the uh giving the hope that we have that this is not our home. The suffering that you and I are going through, this isn't forever. This might be for a period of time, but this is not our home. As as Paul said, as we're going to mention it again, Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, not here. And so Peter wants to comfort the people with the the hope of heaven. And then on top of that, he wants to assure them that they cannot, impossible, to lose your salvation. It is secure. In fact, that is what verses 3 through 12 are all about. Verses 3 to 12 of chapter 1 is one long sentence in the Greek. And as you'll soon see, Peter is making sure that the reader feels secure in their faith. We who are, as he calls us, the chosen or believers or aliens or Christians. Peter wants to make positive, sure, that we have an assurance of our salvation. Explaining very clearly that this earth is not our home. We are, he said, aliens here. So persecution, sorrows, trials, they will not last forever. Because our hope is in God and our hope is in our future with him. With that in mind, I, I want to read with you all of verses 3 through 12. And here's what I would encourage you to do. If, if during the week you, you want to read through your Bible, I would encourage you to, to, to just read through verses 3 through 12 a few times. Get familiar with it. It is, it is like, it's so glorious. It's such an amazing place in the Word of God. Listen to what Peter says. Verse 3. Of First Peter chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not, you do not see Him now but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy, unexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven... Things to, unto which angels long to gaze into, or to look at, or to see. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just an amazing place in Scripture. It is so uplifting. I mean, just verse four, in and of itself, to to know that your salvation, that 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 Peter says, your inheritance is imperishable. It 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 just will not be defiled. It is. It is reserved in heaven for you, and it will not fade away. My goodness. Oh, how wonderful is our God. How great is our God. That song was absolutely perfect. Let's pray and get into this message and, and see what God has to say to you and me concerning this place in Scripture. Father, would you please bless bless this time that we have together. What a glorious day. What a glorious opportunity to. To gather together like this in this this church that you have so graciously given to us and that we gather together and 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 we find new friends new people coming uh, that 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 want to hear about the word of God want to hear about this salvation that is so precious to us and father to them as well we pray and that we could be a, a church that prays for one another Lord we what, what, what greater privilege do we have? As, as Doug and Kathy mentioned, Father, that you are an all-caring God that listens to our prayers and wants to answer them. And so, Father, I do pray your blessings upon us. Would you please open up our eyes, dear Father, so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. Would you move me aside, dear God, so that I do not hinder what you want to say to every single person here. Bless us through your word, Father. May we be attentive to what you want to say to us. I pray this all in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How does Peter begin this? It's, it's really interesting. you got to remember, this was written, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, through Peter's hand. So God the Holy Spirit decides the first things first, you ought to bless your God. And so Peter begins by a sweeping word of praise of the wonders of your salvation and the assurance of who you are in Christ. It isn't much that the believers that he was addressing then, and as we are talking to you now, they were facing great persecution throughout the Roman Empire. And so verses 3 through 12 is a passage of of a hymn of triumph, if you would. It is designed to encourage those who are chosen, as he mentioned, those who are aliens, as he mentioned, those of us who are believers, Christians, whatever you want to call us, those of us who are living in a hostile world, asking us to look past our temporal troubles and rather rejoice in our eternal inheritance, which is undefiled, can't perish. It's reserved in heaven for you and me. It will not Fade away. When we were studying just recently Romans, Paul drove home the point. In fact, he was like a dog with a bone. He would not let it go. He was talking about faith, and he was talking about you and me believing and trusting in God, not by anything that we do, but simply by faith. And he added, faith in Jesus Christ and He alone. And he went over that and over that and over that. Well, Peter now is wants you and me to know that this faith that you have, we want you to know for certain that you are secure in this faith you have in Christ. Even though you are called, like Peter says, an alien, that means this isn't your home. You're an alien here. Because of this, this not being our home, Paul says, as I've mentioned already in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And so Peter concurs with Paul. Of course he would. He says, look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, note, according to His great mercy, I want you to note now, He, God Almighty, has caused you and me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, Peter is concurring. It's through Christ, and it's through Christ alone. And this salvation that you have, he says in verse 4, this inheritance that is before you and me is imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Look at verse 5 just quickly. It is protected by the power of God. Protected by the power of God. But let's, uh, let's take a look at first things first. First in verse 3, we see that Peter wants us to know in verse 3 that we are to bless our, guard, our God. We are to bless Him. And Peter is saying, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the difficulties that you may be going through, don't curse God, but rather bless Him. Bless your God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter so adores the Lord that He implores you and me to do the same. Blessed be our God. And in calling God the God and Father, Of our Lord Jesus Christ? It was a claim to share God's nature with God's Son. In John chapter 10, in verse 30, you know this verse. Jesus says, I and the Father are what? One. Well, they were asking Him. They they said to Him prior to that in in chapter 10 of John, tell us plainly, they said, who are you? Are you the Christ? Who are you? And He says, I've told you. I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. You don't believe, so you don't understand what I'm trying to say to you. And then he says, I and the Father are one. And later they picked up stones to stone him to death. And he asked them, why are you stoning me? For the things that I have done? And they said, no. It's because of what you said. You being a man have made yourself out to be God. You know, it's interesting. People say that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. That is so foolish. That is so foolish. When the people heard him firsthand, when he was standing right in front of them, they understood exactly what he was saying. He was saying that I am God. They picked up stones to kill him because he said that. And yet we have people today that just breaks my heart, that just won't acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he truly is. And so, in fact, in in chapter 14 of John, Jesus told told the disciples, I'm going away. and Where I'm going, you cannot come now, but you will follow me later. And Thomas said, where are you going? Tell us the way. And remember the famous words that Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6? He said to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am life. And nobody can come to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ said. Then he goes on to say, in John chapter 14, verse 7, listen, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, he says, you know Him, and you have seen Him. Jesus is implying, because you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Well, Philip After Jesus Christ said that, said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. In other words, just let us have a glimpse of the Father and that will be perfect for us, Jesus. And I believe out of real pain, out of real pain, Jesus Christ makes this claim. He says to Philip in verse 9 of John chapter 14, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? You know, it is a distressful thing to, to, to preach the gospel, to, to be someone that wants to ter, tell people not about church, not about a denomination, not about religion, but about Jesus Christ and have people that you know are still questioning this thing of called faith and still waiting for more information to trust in the Lord. And I, I understand the, 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 the grief there a little bit. Have have you heard so much about Jesus Christ, and yet you've not come to trust in Him? And then Jesus goes on to say to Philip in, in verse 9 of John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ and God the Father both affirm that they are they possess the same divine nature. Both are fully God. And Peter, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, is affirming that truth to those who are scattered abroad so that they would have the hope in who they believe in. The Father and the Son both mutually share the same eternal life. Each one intimately, equally, um, eternally equal with one another and no one can know the one without knowing the other they are they are like the same you know peter in verse 3 uses the full redemptive name jesus christ he says is our lord jesus christ that is of jesus lord identifies him as our sovereign ruler Jesus identifies Him as the incarnate Son, born of the Virgin. Christ identifies our Lord as the anointed Messiah, King, who is to come one day. But, but, in verse 3, Peter personalizes that magnificent title by the simple inclusion of the pronoun Our. He is Our. He personally belongs to each and every one of us who trust in Him for the forgiveness of our sin. He is our personal Lord and Savior. The divine Lord of this universe belongs to every believer, all who are chosen, all aliens, whatever you want to call them. Jesus, who lived, who died, and He rose from the dead by faith. Those who trust in Him He will grant to us all our glorious, imperishable heritage that is mentioned in verse 4. It's such a great verse. But more about verse 3. How do we receive such a blessing? It is all, verse 3, according to God's mercy. Just those few words. His great mercy is the motive behind God's granting you and me everlasting life. Mercy. God's mercy. We hear about mercy and we hear about grace. But mercy is, is marvelous. God's mercy. And in, mercy in, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says this, listen, God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved you and me, even when we were dead in our transgressions or dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. God's rich in mercy and His grace has has saved you. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he agrees with this statement. He saved us, Paul wrote, not on the basis of our deeds. Well, of course Paul would say that. That was his theme throughout the book of Romans. Not by what you and I do will He save us, but according to His mercy. His mercy. You and I have been saved. Listen, what we have been learning from Paul and now Peter is this one amazing truth. Your faith, my faith, has little to do with us. Has everything to do about our Lord. He will save you. He will care for you. He will take your sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west. He will remember them no more. And then He will gather you in His arms and carry you uh, and present you to heaven itself. Our salvation has little to do with us. But, on the other hand, yours and my obedience to God is all about us. It's all about us. We are to present our bodies as Paul taught in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice unto our Lord. And so our obedience is a part of our life. It's a part of who we are as believers. The gospel is prompted by God's compassion towards those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us, every single soul that walks this earth is in that state at one time or another. We all were once helpless in our sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us there is none, none, not a one of us, not a, any of us who are righteous. No, not one. And so we all need God. We all need His mercy. We need His compassion towards our desperate condition and, and He has a remedy for it. His mercy and His grace save us. Mercy can. Con- concerns yours and my sinful condition, whereas grace concerns our guilt. Divine mercy takes a sinner from misery to glory. Divine grace takes that same sinner from guilt to forgiveness. The Lord loves us that much. You know what else He does? He he grieves over the unbelievers. He grieves over those who just deny Him or put Him off. He grieves over the fact that you won't come to trust in Him. In the book of Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, there's two verses that are just just dramatic. It says in Ezekiel 18:23, God says, Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked? That's a rhetorical question. Of course He has none. No pleasure in it. Rather, He says, that you would turn from your ways and live. And then in verse 32, our Lord further says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Therefore, he says, repent and live. Repent means to turn. Turn from the way you are going away from God and turn towards Him. That's God's plea for all of us. There's no pleasure pleasure in the death of someone who denies Him. He wants all of us to come and trust in Him. And so apart from the possibility of any merit uh, on our part, God grants mercy upon us. In fact, He said to Moses, we are told in Romans, I will have mercy on, on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, the Lord says. So then it does not depend on the man who wills, nor the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God's mercy. So out of His infinite compassion for you and for me, this limitless Mercy will grant to you and me everlasting life. And it's not because of anything we've done or anything we can do. It's because of His love for us. So we see why Paul calls God in Second Corinthians 1, 3, the God, the Father of mercy and of all comfort. Well, verse 3 states further that God has caused, we're back in First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has caused you and me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jeremiah once asked a question that's a rhetorical question in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, he asked, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or can a leopard change his spots? The question that was asked gives the Answer quickly, no, cannot, no. And the same question lingers today, can a sinner change their nature? That answer is still no. No, they cannot. Except, except only God, through the Holy Spirit, can transform a sinful human heart. In other words, God has caused you and me To be born again, it says in verse 3. In in order for anyone to receive the Savior, any one of us to receive Jesus Christ as as an inheritance given to us from God, there must be a spiritual transformation in anyone's life. It, It just must take place. There must be what is called a new birth or being born again or whatever you want to call it, chosen, aliens, Christian. There must be that transformation within one's life. And Peter affirms that truth here in the third verse of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, saying God has caused us to be born again. In order for you or me to receive an eternal inheritance from God, no matter who you may be, no matter what religion you would belong to, or denomination, or whatever your spiritual nature is, you must experience God's means of spiritual transformation, this new birth, if you will. In fact, Jesus Christ, I want you to see this. This is a great, great place in Scripture. Hold your place here in 1 Peter. Turn with me back towards the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And then after John is the book of Acts. So when you get to the Romans and book of Acts, the next book to the left of Acts is John. And I want you to look at John chapter 3, please. What happens in John chapter 3 is that Jesus Christ has been preaching himself as the Messiah. And he is causing a rift throughout all of Jerusalem. And one of the leaders of, of uh, the, the Jewish, um, well, the religious leader, Nicodemus, comes to him. And asks him a question about this spiritual rebirth, about how can one be born again? Listen to what Nicodemus says. In John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. In other words, he wasn't a political ruler. He was a ruler of the religious, those who were the self-proclaimed religious leaders of that time. And he came, it says in verse 2, he came to Jesus Christ by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Well, Jesus Christ did not claim to be a great teacher. He was. He didn't claim to be uh, someone who came from God. He claimed to be God. And so Nicodemus says it wrong right from the beginning. So what does Jesus Christ say? He says to him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then answers our Lord by saying, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, can he? I mean, come on, Nicodemus, you've got to be smarter than that. I mean, what a statement. If, 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 if our Lord was to say to you, you've got to be born again, I mean, I think the last thing you or I would think is, you mean I've got to get back in my mother's womb? No, Jesus wasn't talking about that. And Jesus made it very clear. Although it is, I'll give Nicodemus some slack. I I believe I would have been in his boat. But then the Lord says to him, after he says, you can't get back into your mother's womb, can you? And Jesus said in verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, that person cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He goes on to say in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from nor where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? I want to know, Lord. You know the beauty of this is Nicodemus later accepted Christ as his Savior. He did. He he wrestled through all of these questions. Jesus, in verse 10, answers him and said, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. What Jesus is saying, basically, is Nicodemus I have been telling everybody, everybody, everybody that I am the Messiah and you must come and believe in me and yet you say you don't know what I mean when I say that and you're a teacher of the Jews? You should understand that, Nicodemus. He says, no one, verse 13, uh, yeah, let me go to verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying, I'm him. And then... And then Jesus gets to, to, gets to, to Nicodemus' wheelhouse. In other words, he threw him a ball right down the middle so he could hit it out of the park. He said to Nicodemus in verse 14, talking about what happened in the wilderness. And he went back to Numbers. And Nicodemus would have been a student of the Old Testament. He would have known exactly what our Lord was talking about when he mentioned verse 14. He says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here's what happened. In the wilderness... The, the people of Israel were disobedient to, the, to, to Moses. And they were disobedient to the Lord. And so the Lord caused some serpents to come upon their camp and start biting them. And they were dying. They were they were poisonous. And they were getting sick and dying. And so the Lord told Moses, construct an altar... And put on an altar a serpent, a bronze serpent, and tell the people, anyone who has been bitten by a serpent, if they look upon the bronze altar, they will not die. Now, can you even imagine? Think of it. You get bitten by this serpent, and then you're supposed to go over to this, this altar, look at it, and you'll be well. That took faith. That took a lot of faith for them to do that. And Jesus Christ was saying, so as the, the bronze serpent was on an altar, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In other words, the Son of Man must be looked at. The Son of Man is going to die. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. And He's going to raise again from the dead. And then He said these most marvelous words in verse 16. Everybody's heard it at one time or another. For God so loved you, Nicodemus. That He gave His only begotten Son, Nicodemus. That if you would believe in Him, Nicodemus, you wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life, Nicodemus. And He says the same thing to you and to me. And He says it to this world. Just look at Jesus Christ. Examine Him. Behold Him. Believe in Him. And He will give you everlasting life. And so God has caused you and me to be born again. And Jesus Christ effectively explained the necessity of regeneration to Nicodemus, the prominent Jewish leader. And He cut to the core in Nicodemus' self-righteous life And He told them what all sinners need to hear at one time or another. And that is, they need, they must be spiritually born again. And to be spiritually born again, that only comes through your faith in Jesus Christ and He alone. Back to 1 Peter, please. Chapter 1, verse 3. Peter goes on to declare that this new birth results in believers receiving a living hope. Received by and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this living hope is our Savior. I'm reminded of the resurrection from the dead, of the greatest story of, of, of in my opinion, of our Lord when He was on this earth. One of His dearest friends was Lazarus, and Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in, and in John uh, chapter uh, 11, um, Jesus Christ came into the village of Martha and Mary and Lazarus had been dead three days. They buried him. And so he comes into the village and Martha rushes to see him and said, Lord, listen to this for faith. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. She, she is saying you could have stopped the very process of death. If you would have been here, Our brother would still be alive. He said, Your brother will live again. And she said, I know, in the resurrection. And Jesus Christ looked at her in John chapter 11, verse 25, and said, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And the person who believes in me will live even if they die. And then he goes on to say these words Think about it now. Her brother is in the grave, three days he's been dead. And Jesus said in the next verse, verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. And she just buried her brother. And then He looks at her and asks, Do you believe this? And I look at you and myself and ask, Do you believe that? Do you believe that everyone who lives and believes in Jesus Christ will never die? She goes on to say some of the most precious words in all of Scripture. She looks at Jesus Christ and she says, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you are the one who has come into this earth. You're the Messiah. I believe you. Paul said to the Corinthians concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, he says, your faith is worthless. If Jesus Christ didn't do what he said he was going to do for you and for me, our faith is worthless. We're still in our sins. But Peter tells us, that we've been born again. That God, God Almighty has caused any one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead, we are born again. He has caused us that. Our Lord loves you and me so much. What Peter wanted to do is what I would like to do for you and me. And that is to assure us of our faith that nothing, no one, would ever rock us from it. No circumstance, no no difficulties, nothing will move us away from our faith because this here is not our home. We're passing we're passing through, folks. We're aliens. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's what Peter wants you and me to understand and believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. With that in mind, I would like to ask the prayer team to come forward if you don't mind. We're going to pray in a moment. And what I want to do is uh, just open up to you if you would like to come and, and ask for prayer, any kind of prayer. If, if maybe what Peter said this morning really touched your heart and, and, and you would like to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you. We would love to, to give you any and every assistant to grow in your faith that we can. And so the prayer team will come forward, and I want to I want to thank them. I want to thank you guys for 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 being a part of this new ministry here in the church. It's it's amazing. And uh, um, I was going to make a joke about the bank bank robbery again. I I got to stay away from that. I do. I, I thank you guys for that. And I want to remind you that that uh, anything you would like for us to pray for, we will. It will be kept confidential. That's for sure. And we will we will see God do great things. Listen, that's when we pray for one another is, is I believe when God is going to be unleashed amongst us to see miracles and things happen that, that we couldn't even imagine as God will bless us through our prayers for one another. So Father, I want to thank you so much for this time. Just to be in this word with Peter, Father, I, uh, I must admit, Father, I was very nervous leaving Romans, but Father, coming to this great book has been beyond beyond anything I could have ever hoped or dreamed of. It's been phenomenal, Father. Thank you for the blessings. I would encourage all of us to read verses 3 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1 sometime during this week and get to make ourselves familiar with the promises that you give us. And now, Lord, bless us as we have uh, those that up there to pray for us if need be. and And, and wherever you might take us, Father, Would uh, we bless you with our lives? Thank you so much, Father, for all these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.